Well, it's time to take a look at what happened in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament and then look ahead to our two Big 12 teams in the Sweet 16. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is where you find us covering the Big 12 Conference every single day. And we are, as always, when talking hoops, joined by our lead basketball writer, Matthew Postens, here on the show. Uh, Matthew, second round games, I would say, for the Big 12 did not go as planned. Uh, two and three for the Big 12 in those games. Uh, two teams got knocked out in the first round, of course. And then of the five teams in the second round, only two of those made it to the Sweet 16. That does not meet, I don't know about you, but that does not meet my expectations for what I thought we would so- see from this league in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. How about you? Well, I, I, I kind of had, I pegged three to get through. I felt like Kansas would get through as well, which obviously they lost to the second round. Um, you know, there's a surprisingly amount of balance in this tournament this year. 11 different conferences had at least one team advance to the Sweet 16. Obviously, we had the chaos of uh, FDU and, and Princeton, for that matter. Princeton's mm-hmm. in the Sweet 16 as well. Um, I think it just goes to show that this tournament is just completely unpredictable now. I mean, for the past 10, 15 years, I've felt like the mid-majors have been gathering steam because, you know, all of these great players can't go to Kansas and they can't go to Villanova and they can't go to UCLA. Some of them spill over into the Butlers and the George Masons of the world. And those teams, you know, are good enough to make runs in this tournament. And now with you, with the transfer portal now, you know, at its second full year, you're seeing a redistribution of talent, not just across Division One, but you look at FDU, they had three Division Two transfers who moved up to Division One and played and, and helped their team get to the second round of the tournament. So that makes the field even more balanced, which makes the tournament great, but it also makes it extremely unpredictable. So a conference like the Big 12, you know, that I think most people would agree was the best conference during the regular season in the country, only getting two teams through – you know, it looks a little bit disappointing on paper, but within the context of the first weekend of this tournament, um, it's still not bad. You know, I, I'm a little disappointed Kansas didn't get to the Sweet 16. I felt they were obviously good enough to get there. Uh, Arkansas played a really good game against them, especially in the second half. But, uh, you know, I, I pegged three. They got two. A little disappointing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you think about it, too. And... You're right. Uh, Like, you think back to 35 years ago, you know, the one seeds were dominant, whether it was the UCLA run, uh, you know, of the 70s, the Duke run of the early 90s, whatever. Uh, That doesn't exist anymore. The one seeds are vulnerable, as we've seen two lose in the last five years, most recently, as you noted, Fairleigh Dickinson. So is it fair to say, then, that just college basketball in general – is not as top-heavy as it was a generation or two ago. And while it may be good for the sport when it comes to March Madness, not having those powerhouses also has a downside for the sport at large? Well, I would agree that it's not as top-heavy as it used to be, although you're always going to have your Kansases and your Kentuckys and your Dukes and and schools like that. But, you know, Duke's kind of in transition right now, you know, with a new head coach. You know, Kentucky, they could be in transition. I'm, I'm not really out John Calipari just walking away from the whole thing after this season. Um, you know, it, there there's some blue blood programs that aren't, you know, in a, in a in as good a spot as they usually are. Kansas, honestly, is one of the in one of the best spots right now in terms of just those programs, the way they've played the last few years. But, you know, to your point, it, it, there's more there's more balance in the sport, which I think is great for the tournament. 
I think once the NBA and the NCAA agree on, you know, getting rid of the one and done rule, which I, I think is coming in the next year or two, I think you're going to see a couple of things happen. I think you're going to see more kids stay in school longer because they'll have to, and they'll get better player development that way. But you're also going to see probably more kids go the pro route and not just go straight to the NBA, but maybe go overseas for a year like uh, one of the ball kids did. Or they're going to have more of those NBA Ignite teams in the G League where kids can go straight to pro for a year and then be eligible for the draft. Um, I think you're going to see a kind of a redistribution of talent in that way as well. So it, there's there's a lot of interesting things coming to the sport, but you're right. There's there's not the gap from say you know number one to the top you know, to number 100 in the sport anymore like there was before. Yeah. Uh, before we get to, and there's plenty of time to talk about what's coming up uh, this weekend in the Big 12 from a Sweet 16 potential Elite Eight perspective, let's just run through what happened here in the first and second rounds. Uh, biggest disappointment, I don't know about you. I mean, you could convince me on West Virginia because they had that big early lead against Maryland and then lost. But, man, Iowa State, 41 points in that game against Pittsburgh. Uh, what did they have? Two points after seven, eight, nine minutes of play. Uh, they shot, what, 23% from the floor. Uh, that was a horrible way to end the season for the Cyclones. And what was, let's be honest, a bad last few weeks. Uh, I know they got to the Big 12 semifinals, but Caleb Grill, the way that went down, and then getting a bounce out in the first round of the tournament to Pitt as a sixth seed, uh, that's a tough way for Otts to end this year too, Matthew. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I think it kind of exposes the difference between last year's team and this year's team. They had a high-level scorer in Isaiah Brockington last year. So, they, you know, a guy they could turn to and lean on. This year it was a little bit more balanced in that way. Jaron Holmes would do it sometimes. Gabe Kalsher would do it sometimes. Even Caleb Grill would do it sometimes. But when you get into the NCAA tournament, you've got to have that guy you can turn to. I mean, even – with Kansas losing in the second round, the guy they turned to is Jalen Wilson. With Texas, they turned to Dylan DeSue's in the hot hand the first two, uh, last few weeks. Um, Iowa State is a great defensive team. I know that's their identity, but they have to spend some time this season either developing somebody who can be a high-level scorer or going out and finding a high-level scorer that can be that guy in those moments that can take those shots and, and be the driver of their offense. They really missed that this year. They just didn't have it. Um, they, they may do with what they had, but, uh, they're, you know, I think Ott has to augment the formula just a little bit to get that kind of a player onto the floor. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, West Virginia with their season over, I couldn't help, but as I'm watching K-State beat Kentucky in the second round, we all know Oscar Tashiwe, you know, one of the best players in college basketball and how he ended up at Kentucky, you know, a lot of people have different opinions on that, but how is the West Virginia basketball program different if they get Oscar Toshibwe for the last couple of seasons um, based on how good of a player he is, instead we're talking about Bob Huggins, his future. What is it? Is it good for him? Is it good for the program to continue on as is? We know they're going to be talking about it. Both sides will be talking about it here. The AD confirmed that uh, over the next, I guess, few days or so. But you can't play the what-if game, but let's play it, Matthew. Oscar Toshibwe stays at West Virginia. How is this program different today? Well, I think, number one, their rebounding problem would have been solved. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Been, that's, that's been their biggest issue the last two years since he left is they haven't had a, a solid inside presence from a rebounding standpoint. He would have solved that problem completely. 
Um, offensively, I think what you have to determine is would he have developed into the offensive player that he's become at West Virginia the way he has at Kentucky? Um, you know, I think Oscar was always going to get his points regardless of his, regardless of his offensive build, development because of his rebounding ability. Um, with his rebounding ability on last year's team with Taz Sherman and Sean McNeil, I think they go to the NCAA tournament, maybe go around or two. I think probably the same way this year. Maybe they maybe they get to the Sweet 16 this year because I think uh, um, you know they, that he would have been a very difficult matchup in the second round for I think Maryland ended up playing Alabama. So you know I think they would have gotten farther in the I think they would have gotten into the NCAA tournament last year, maybe gotten farther both years. I don't know that they would have gotten to the Final Four, but they certainly would be a more stable program. I think they'd be a little bit more attracted to transfers at this point. And I, I think an inter- I think him with Eric Stevenson would have been an interesting pick and roll game all season for them. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, Bob Huggins' future is is what? I mean, we're seeing a lot of the folks who are uh, peers of his hang him up. Uh, he will be seventy this year. It doesn't feel yeah. like this program is in a place where it's certainly not on the upswing. Uh, I don't know what it is right now. It's just kind of there. What do you think that future looks like? Yeah, it's a really good question because they don't have a, a, a prep recruit at this point for 2023. Uh, they're the only Big 12 team that doesn't have at least one signee from the, from the early period. Um, they could certainly change that, and they've been out recruiting. They've, they've been looking at 2024 and 2025 guys, so it's not like Bob and his staff haven't been out there you know, making offers, looking at kids. Uh, I think he has to figure out if this is the world that he wants to coach in. Um, you know, we have the transfer portal now. We have uh, all of these other things, name, image, and likeness, and things like that. And I personally believe, you know, other coaches will, will say, yeah, that's not why. I personally believe that's why coaches like Rory Williams and Jay Wright left the game. They just didn't want to deal with it. I don't blame them. You know, uh, they were in the game for a long time. They did a lot of great things. They're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but when the game changes, if you don't want to play that game, then the best thing to do is just to just get out of it and not try to make do. I think Bob's going to have to decide if he wants to exist in this new world of, of college basketball. And if he doesn't, then probably the best thing for him and the best thing for West Virginia is to just step aside and move on. But if he wants to adjust, if he wants to be a part of it for the next few years and, and try to bring home that national championship to West Virginia, which is his goal, then he should embrace it fully and, and go into it full bore and make the changes that he needs to make in order to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, you look at where this is at right now uh, from a Big 12 perspective and, you know, where this all goes from here. The future, Bill Self, uh, he didn't coach in this tournament after not coaching the Big 12 tournament. He said he would have been coaching had the Jayhawks made the Sweet 16. Of course, we'll never know if that actually would have happened. Not an old guy. I mean, you know, Self's, what, 60, I believe. So if you're looking at Bill Self, his future – I, we're speculating here, but is this the kind of moment where a guy like Bill Self hits the reset button and says, okay, how much longer do I have doing this? How much longer do I want to do this? What does all this look like? And how much does that put KU's program in flux right now, if at all? Well, I don't, I don't know that it puts it in flux, but I certainly think it puts him in a position where he can be a little bit reflective about you know how much longer he wants to do this. I mean, that kind of a procedure, it does kind of put things in perspective. A lot of coaches talk about how, how hard this job is physically, you know, all the scouting, all the traveling, all the practicing, et cetera. It's, it's a significant commitment, you know, even for a young guy like Mike Winton Jr. at Oklahoma State. 
you know, much less a, a Bill Self or a Bob Huggins. So I, I don't see Bill Self walking away. He's got an incredible recruiting class coming in. He's got a, a lot of talent on that roster. But, you know, his dad, you know, passed away uh, a year ago. Uh, his dad was a coach for a long time. I think he retired in his 60s, and I think he ended up living until he was in his 80s. So, um, you know, I think there's that perspective as well for Bill. I don't see him stepping away, but I, I see him maybe doing a little reflection over the offseason. Mm-hmm. I'm with you there. Uh, Matthew, great story uh, in the same state, of course, as Kansas State. You look at this team picked last in the Big 12. Uh, Jerome Tang takes the job. He's got two players coming back to his program, and here he is going to a Sweet 16 from the Little Apple to the Big Apple. They'll play at Madison Square Garden uh, this week. I'm looking at this, and I'm saying any coach that tells you in today's college basketball world they need a few years to rebuild a program, that's nonsense. I'm not saying you got to do Jerome Tang, get to a Sweet 16, but with the portal, with NIL, you do not need a long time to rebuild. Either you're going to get it done or you're not, Matthew. Kansas State, to me, is a blueprint of that right now. Yeah, they are. And, and you know, frankly, you could you throw Iowa State into that bin from the year before. Um, you're seeing programs turn around quickly because you've got the ingredients to do it now. You didn't have that before with the transfer portal, you know, not being around five years ago. We talk about Scott Drew's national championship team in 2021 and, and the fact that all three guards were transfers. Only one of them got to play immediately, and that was Jerry Butler. And it was only because he enrolled at Alabama in the summer and unenrolled after three days and then transferred to Baylor. He got a waiver. Macy Oteague and Davion Mitchell both had to sit a year. Adam Flagler had to sit a year. You know, we're now at that point with the transfer portal where if you transfer, you don't have to sit a year as long as you haven't used your red shirt or as long as you haven't transferred before. So, you know, a lot of the guys who came in were either guys who had not transferred before or who had transferred before but were graduates, like um, uh, Desi Sills. He already had his degree, so he could play right away. So there's a lot. there are a lot more avenues available to coaches like Jerome Tang to bring talent in, but you still have to find a way to put it together. And you, you can't argue with what he's done on the floor. You know, you know really putting the ball in the hands of, of, of uh, Marquise Noel or the little kid, as John Calipari likes to call him, and um, <laughs> letting him do his thing. At the point, he has been one of the most incredible players on the floor, you know, in any position this season. And he's the biggest reason why they're, they're where they're at. I mean, Keontae Johnson's had a great season. They've had some great role players. But this team is driven by Marquise Noel. When he has a great game, they tend to win. Yeah, and you saw that. I mean, you know, five foot eight, he's in three-pointers over guys, you know, a foot taller than him. It's, it's been fun to watch. Uh, Texas may be, and I would say they are, Matthew, at this point, Arguably the hottest team in the country. Uh, they get set for Xavier in the Sweet 16. Uh, Xavier has been on a nice run, beat Kennesaw State, and then took care of Pitt. But, man, this Texas team feels like a buzzsaw right now with the way they're getting contributions from across the board. Dylan DeSue, as you noted, has been the hottest hand in arguably college basketball the last two weeks, and they're riding that as they should. Question one, Rodney Terry, does he have the job with a Sweet 16, or might he have to at least win one more game? Well, I said all along that if he gets to the Sweet 16 or farther, he deserves serious consideration for the job. I can't speak for what Texas would do. Uh, in my in my mind, if I were in Chris Del Conte's shoes, knowing how these players respect Rodney Terry, knowing the job he's done on under you know duress, you know with everything that happened in December, and keeping this team together. Yeah, I know they were a talented team, but it takes a talented coach to keep a group of guys like this together and keep them moving forward. I 
I'd be offering him the job. It might be only a two or three year contract, but I'd be offering him the job. Um, Texas is just a different kind of school than most of the other schools in the Big 12. They they really like high level, splashy hires, you know, known names, things like that. Uh, you know, I think the further they go in the tournament, the more that enhances Rodney Terry's case to be the full-time head coach. If I were in their shoes, I'd give him the job now. Well, also, like, who else are you going to hire, right? I mean, what's I don't think Calipari's coming with that recruiting class he's got at Kentucky next year. Uh, you know, I mean, Rick Pitino's going to St. John's. I'm not sure that was ever a fit anyway. Who's, like, the hot yeah. shot that they're hiring out there, Matthew? Even if they have all the money in the world, I don't know who that person is. Yeah, I'm not sure who it is either because, you know, I've been kind of studying the landscape a little bit. I mean, there are, like, dream guys. I mean, yeah, Ed Cooley might have been a great hire, but he, you know, went to Georgetown. Um, you know, Rick Barnes would be a great name if he hadn't already coached yeah. Texas for 15 years. Um, you know, Mick Kronick at UCLA is a terrific coach. He's done great work there. But um, he's got the you know, UCLA really job. Dead. He's got, yeah, yeah and I know exactly. you know this. It's like he's yeah. got the UCLA job. Yeah. Mark Few, like, who do they think they're getting? Seriously, who do Texas yeah, fans think they're that, getting? That, and, you know, the, the only other thing you could say is, well, maybe, maybe there's an NBA coach you could lure down to the college level, but that's a really difficult thing to do. And if you do that, it's usually like an Avery Johnson who went to Alabama, a guy who's unemployed, doing TV, wants to get back into the game. And, you know, I think coaching. I think moving from NBA to, to college is as difficult as moving from college to NBA. So, you know, this may be a situation where Rodney Terry coaches his way into the job, but there may not be a lot of options for Texas to bring in as well. Yeah, I don't think there are. And, you know, speaking of the NBA, I know you cover it and you know it better than I do, but I, I don't know if I could name you more than half a dozen NBA coaches because of the turnover in that league, you know? It's just, it's crazy. Um, let's yeah. talk matchups then. Texas Xavier uh, in the Sweet 16. They'll get the winner, whoever wins that game, of Houston-Miami. How do you see, I think this is a nice spot for Texas to be in when you talk about a Final Four trip. What about you? Yeah, I I felt like they had the easiest path to start with, and and that's kind of played out. I mean, obviously, um, I think all of us would love to see a Texas-Houston Elite Eight matchup. Um, just because of the old Southwest Conference rivalries, the fact that it would be an all-Texas, uh, you know, one Texas team would go to the Final Four. Uh, I think Texas matches up well with all of these guys, uh, all these, all three of these teams. But one I'd be really worried about if they get, you know, past Xavier is Miami. You know, Miami's got a lot of talented guards. Um, they really shoot the three. They really defend well. Nigel Pax and that team, he was at Kansas State last year. Uh, he could give them some matchup issues because they can go smaller than Texas. They can go a little bit quicker than Texas, and they play defense as well as Texas. Mm-hmm. They do. Now, uh, our other Big 12 team in the mix, K-State. Um, boy, uh, death taxes and Tom Izzo in a Sweet 16. It's pretty amazing stuff mm-hmm. what he's done uh, yeah. with that Spartans team as a seven seed. Uh, they'll play the winner of FAU Tennessee. It's not the sexiest bracket of all those left but there's some compelling storylines here and i think by far the more intriguing game is k-state michigan state yeah i mean with with k-state you know doing what it did to kentucky you know taking out one blue blood taking on another in michigan state a team that you know has kind of taken on the identity of what happened last month with the shooting on campus 
uh, they've kind of taken that that grief and that that pain and kind of channeled it into the way they've played uh, over the past few weeks. And then you've got Tennessee, who I, I fully believe will beat uh, FAU in the uh, uh, Sweet 16 game. But FAU is going to give them a run because they're, they're they've got a lot of quick guards. Uh, they shoot well. Uh, they're a, a deceptively good rebounding team. I was really impressed watching them play uh, in the first two rounds. So, you know, I, I think Kansas State just needs to continue to do what they do. You know, put the ball in Marquise Noel's hands, uh, allow him to make plays. Uh, I think Michigan State's going to watch that Kentucky tape and dissect it like the Zapruder film because I'm not sure they've seen anybody pass the way that Marquise Noel passes. Uh, and their backside defense is going to be really, really important uh, to them winning that game. Uh, I'd like Kansas State to get out of that game and get to the Elite Eight. Um, It should be a really interesting game, though. Yeah, and you got, I think, four guys on the roster from K-State that are New York City guys, and uh, they're going to be playing, obviously, in um, the heart of that with Madison Square Garden. So just an interesting storyline there, Matthew. So you look at this, does the Big 12 end up with a team in the Final Four or two? I think they end up with at least one, and I'm leaning toward Texas on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. I just feel like they're the slightly hotter team right now. They play better defense than Kansas State does, and that's going to that's gonna come up at some point this weekend. Uh, they're a much better defensive team. I think if, if, either, if only one gets there, you know, I think it's Texas. But the great thing about you look at the bracket at this point, every one of these teams is talented enough and capable enough to get to the Final Four. We very well possible could have two Big 12 teams in the Final Four, but if I got to pick one, it's going to be Texas. I'm with you um, 100% there as well, and obviously hoping it's two. That would be great. I mean, we, it's still possible for an all Big 12 championship yeah. game, right? I mean, because they're on opposite sides, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying we could get K State Texas for a national championship. So, crossing our fingers for that, Matthew. Absolutely. I think that would be a great game, too, because they've played two great games in the regular season. Yeah, that's a yeah, great point. Good stuff. Hope we can talk about that. He's Matthew Postens, our lead basketball writer. I'm Pete Mundo. As always, as we're wrapping up the podcast, leave a rating, review, subscribe. Uh, send me a screenshot of that rating and review on iTunes to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. And we got a stack of Heartland College sports koozies we'll put in the mail for you. Good stuff, as always, out of Matthew Postens. Appreciate his time, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great day.